Hey guys, it's RJ. And Angie. And this is the Rich by Intention podcast. Our guest today is Ed Combs. Ed is an internationally recognized thought leader in financial therapy. He is a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified financial planner, and a certified financial therapist. In this episode, we discuss financial infidelity and how couples can overcome it. Ed shares many practical tips to help couples tackle this challenge. Later, we discuss his new book, Healthy Love and Money, how the four attachment styles impact your financial well-being. We truly hope this episode blesses any couples that are currently struggling with financial infidelity. As always, thank you for tuning in to this episode. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button and get our free cheat sheet to get on the same page about money with your partner. Link in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in. So Ed, thanks so much for joining us. We're excited to have you on the Rich by Intention podcast. For those who may not know you, can you just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Angie, RJ, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Love what you guys are up to. And a little bit about myself. In the shortest way, I say I'm a firefighter turned financial planner turned couples therapist. And I say that and people's heads start to spin. They're like, wait, what? How did you go from firefighter to financial planner to therapist? And with a little more detail, you know, you sit around the fire station and you hear the guys complain about two things, their wives and money. Okay, well, I don't want that problem. I'm a young guy. So how am I going to figure this out? And the logical thing for me at that time was, well, learn how money works and then you won't have any problems in the future. Well, you guys are on the journey and you realize like just knowing how money works actually doesn't close all the gaps, does it? No. no. So, but I figured that out in the process of getting my CFP and my MBA, getting married. My wife was a dentist and it's like my whole financial world changed. You know, like I went from very modest income to much higher income because my wife was making it, not because I was making it, which, and that opened up some things inside of me that like, I feel some embarrassment and shame about because I like to think I'm a progressive guy. I support women making great money. But in the reality of being married to a breadwinner, it opened up some insecurities inside me. And just knowing how to do the technical financial planning wasn't going to resolve that for me. So I went to become a couples therapist to better understand couples and family dynamics, not really understanding how much there is to know and understand. But now being so grateful for that background knowledge in the world of psychology and, and family therapy giving me some much deeper ideas about how people work, how we come to be the way that we are. And so am I fully free of that insecurity of my wife being a breadwinner 15 years in the marriage? No. Am I a lot further along? Yes. So it's been quite a journey and it continues to unfold. And that's the thing that I'm most excited to share with folks is it's this progressive journey of becoming more and more comfortable in your money life. And you know, you're, your branding is so on point, rich by intention. It doesn't just happen automatically. You have to intentionally keep working at it and you work at it and then you learn there's something else to work at. And then you learn, you get that kind of worked out and then there's something else. And so it's kind of an evolving practice. Yeah, no, I think your story is just the trajectory of going from the firefighter and then going into this new industry of, you know, working with couples. It's very unique, right? But right. I think it's very cool that you took the initiative and that you wanted to learn more about this specific area, not just because you were a married man yourself, but you heard 
other people talking about their own challenges. And so I think it's just so cool that you wanted to just go down this path of learning about couples and the psychology of, of marriage and finances. So one thing that I was thinking about is that I've heard of a marriage therapist I've heard of a mental health therapist, but this whole idea of a financial therapist is very new to me. And so what exactly does a financial therapist do? That's a great question. Well, a financial therapist at this point kind of comes from one of two backgrounds. They either come from a mental health background or a financial planning background. But what they do is they, the Financial Therapy Association, which I'm associated with, helps train people that want to do this intersection. and. What they're really learning how to do is how to evaluate people's different thought patterns, different feeling patterns, different behavior patterns, and relationship dynamics that get evoked as they engage on that full range of money topics that people will have to engage in over the whole life. Right. So this is the beauty of financial planning is we know that in broad buckets, people have to manage cash flow. They have to manage investments. They have to manage taxes. They have to manage estate planning. And they have to manage insurance. And under each of those buckets, there's all kinds of things that have to happen, right? And most of us don't have a deep enough knowledge to be able to navigate all of that stuff pretty comprehensively. So that's where the financial planner comes into play. Well, that's wonderful if you are kind of self-actualized or emotionally fully mature and have no anxiety. You can engage all those topics without a lot of problem. But if you have anxiety or depression or trauma in your background or relational insecurities or self-insecurities, all of a sudden, like, you mean I got to talk to him about how much we spend or how much he spends or I spend or like I'm present oriented and he wants to save for the future and that creates a rub, the process stops, right? So the financial therapist really can get in there and help people start to open up What are the different thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and relationship dynamics that are blocking you from moving forward towards whatever that financial planning topic is that you need to work on? Yeah, that's interesting. Really a deeper dive in understanding the deeper roots of some of the feelings that you have with these topics. But I'm curious, in your actual practice, what are some of the common challenges you see amongst couples when it comes to finances? Right. So I think at the surface, a lot of couples would say, the saver-spender dynamic. He's a saver, I'm a spender, or the other way around. It's it's not gendered, but like at the surface, that's kind of one of those big tension points for a lot of couples is they feel upset, frustrated, angry, resentful, mistrustful of what the other person is doing with money and how it gets allocated. Now, the lens that I use from psychology is called attachment theory. And what this is, is this is a study of how humans grow and develop mental representations of relationships and how they view themselves and view others. And in attachment psychology, we look at and say people fall into four categories, secure, anxious, avoidant, or disorganized. The secure person generally feels comfortable with themselves and with other people, especially around getting their emotional needs met. The anxious individual typically feels a lower sense of self-worth or self-esteem and appraises the other person more highly. They're also not really sure if the other person really is meeting their needs or can meet their needs. So there's, that's where that anxiety comes in. The person on the avoided end will keep someone at an arm's length distance. They're not going to let them into their emotional space because they don't trust them. And they've learned, I have to take care of myself because other people can't do it. The disorganized is some combination of anxious and avoided. These patterns are 
understandable when we look at a person's growing up background and how they were cared for emotionally. Okay, so this is a much deeper layer psychologically, but if we bring that up to the saver-spender dynamic, you can imagine that someone who has, let's just say, an anxious attachment style is married to someone with an avoiding attachment style. And the anxious person is feeling criticized for the way they spend because the avoidant partner is very more analytically oriented and it's just numbers and I don't understand why you're getting so emotional. The anxious person is, oh, I'm being rejected and I'm not acceptable. And okay, well, I'll do whatever I can to make you happy, but I know you're going to be disappointed with me. And so now they're really at odds for finding collaborative solutions. So as I work with clients, I try to start introducing them to what is their attachment style. How is that shaping their view of themselves and their partner? And what can we do to move towards a more secure attachment? We hear a lot of that within our audience about that saver-spender dynamic and some of the challenges that couples face when there's two different ideologies when it comes to money and finances. And so I think, you know, to your point, like just trying to figure out those attachment styles would probably be very helpful to, to help with the communication, right, between the husband and the wife. And so one of the things that I think in this saver-spender dynamic, one of the challenges that I think can come up is often, you know, this idea of financial infidelity where the spender may not want to disclose <laughs> some of their purchases and some of the things that they're putting their money towards with the person that might be a little bit more on the saver side, right? Might be a little bit more stringent when it comes to the finances. And so that's a real challenge that couples are really facing today and struggling with. And so I wanted to kind of dive in to, you know, this concept of financial infidelity. For our listeners, can you just explain what exactly financial infidelity is? Yeah, absolutely. So financial infidelity is a breach in trust about financial expectations. And when we go a little bit deeper into this definition, couples have both explicit expectations about how the money is going to be managed, like, oh, we'll spend $500 a month on groceries, or we'll save $1,000 for retirement, whatever your numbers are, right? Everyone's a little bit different, but maybe you've talked about it. But then there's those informal, like how much money you spend on shoes or on Amazon or going out with your friends that you don't really want to tell your wife or your husband, hey, we just spent $500 at the bar tonight or whatever those things are that maybe you don't, you haven't really agreed upon, but you're doing it anyways. And partly you're, you don't talk about it because of that different financial ideologies, as you, you mentioned. I like the way you said that. So financial infidelity is a breach of relational and financial trust around both spoken expectations and unspoken expectations. And we have some combination, all of us in our marriages, right? Yeah, yeah. No, what I was was going to say is, yeah, so true, right? I think some of the things that is helpful is to decide together as a, as a team, what's the amount, right? That you should discuss if it's any number over that amount. Yeah. Like before you make a purchase, like if it's like a hundred dollars, like, oh, we're always going to consult each other, right? Like if we're going to make a purchase over a hundred dollars or something like that. But one of the things, the thing about financial infidelity is that it can be just as devastating as sexual infidelity, right? Why do you think that is? Like, why is it that this type of infidelity can just be as heart-wrenching as, you know, a marital affair? Well, and I want to come forward and be very honest that I've walked through this as the one that's committed financial infidelity, even with everything that I've known. And so I know this at a very personal level about how gut-wrenching it is and often on both sides, ultimately. 
I've walked with many couples through this as well. So uh, you're spot on that, that it can be just as devastating. And so the question is, why is it devastating? Because healthy relationships are centered on safety and trust. I feel safe with you and I'm trusting that I'm going to know what you're going to do. You become predict. I've let you into my world and which means I've become more vulnerable to what's going to happen and how your decisions impact me. And we've developed some expectations about of each other and what we're going to do. So now when you step outside of those expectations, that's a violation of trust. And I like to think about violations of trust as like a knife through flesh. And this is what people don't fully understand is that our psychological relationship is not just psychological, it's physiological. Meaning you have a relationship with RJ and RJ has a relationship with you in your brain, in the neural structure of your brain that says, this is who RJ is to me. And this is who Angie is to me. And there's complex mental representations structured in the neuroanatomy of your brain. So now all of a sudden, when if either one of you do something that's far enough outside of those expectations, it's a rupture in the processing and the neural pathways that get lit up in your brain. Your brain literally doesn't know where to go anymore. And so that's where that confusion and disorientation can come from, from a neuroanatomy perspective, from that psychological or metaphorical level, it feels like you've been stomped on the chest or your gut's been punched, whatever the physical sensation that comes up for you. Financial infidelity isn't just something that I think a husband or a wife says, I'm going to just hide my purchases. I'm going to hide any accounts that I want to open up from my spouse. It's something that I think often just accidentally happens. Correct me if I'm wrong, but like, why or how do couples slip into this financial infidelity? Yeah. So from my own experience, I was trying to launch my counseling practice 10 years ago, already helped my wife build her dental practice and I had my MBA. So I was like, oh, I, I know how to build a business. I should be good. And right, I made that projection about this is when the income should flow and this is about how much so I can borrow this much safely. Well, unfortunately, things didn't work out as planned. And so I started to fall into a little more shame and embarrassment. And shame and embarrassment often, if you, especially if you have that insecure attachment pattern, says you can't go to the other person to talk about what's going on. You risk being rejected even more. And so you go into secrecy, which then sends you down this dark spiral, right? Which is that like unintentional journey down into it. So I didn't set out to lie to my wife about how much credit card debt was building up as I was trying to grow my practice. But that's, and it was that self reinforcing because I had the internal narrative debt is bad. You shouldn't have done that anyways. So the internal narrative can keep you going down the long road. Another example is, a husband and a wife that I was working with, both successful professionals, but the husband didn't want to say no to his wife because he wanted to keep her happy. And was he knew that she came from a difficult background. She had given up so much so that he could pursue his career. And so when they wanted to go on nice trips, he said, yeah, we can figure it out. Well, the credit card debt built up. And then eventually he had to take money from the 401k, which led to a tax event. And then she finally, when they're filing taxes, you know, it came out. And so there was a lot of shame on his part, a lot of hurt and betrayal on her part. And we had to work through their money histories. And so this is something we haven't really touched on in the past is there's often more complicated money histories playing out in the background where people have also learned from their families that it's not safe or okay to talk about your finances, especially when things aren't going well, because it means 
big conflict, big fights, scary things happen, or major shutdown, and in many cases, divorce. And so we learn in our childhood at a conscious and unconscious level that it's not safe to talk about money. This is money trauma, right? So the money trauma is the antecedent to financial infidelity in many cases. On top of all the other types of trauma that we can have in our life that tell us we're not safe, acceptable, worthy, good enough. So this is where that, that mental health background has really helped me understand how people's lived experiences shape their sense of self, their expectations of themselves and their partner, and are all major precursors to what shows up as financial infidelity and mistrust. Yeah, that's interesting point that you made. I guess the question that I really want to dig deeper into is what are some signs of financial infidelity? And also, how can couples overcome financial infidelity? That's a great question. So I think some of the biggest signs are when your partner's unwilling to talk about the finances or open the books. That's like the number one thing. If you ask them questions about their shopping and spending and they don't want to talk about it, that's another huge sign. If they get particularly angry or aggressive or cold or withdrawing when you talk to them, that's another big sign about it. That is potential, right? Now, they're maybe not, but those are big things that are often associated with it. If it's hard to track like what they're doing and how all the pieces line up, that you know, that's kind of the classic smoke and mirrors piece. And so the other side of that is if you're concerned about this happening, that's where working with a financial therapist or a couples therapist that can have that safe party to help support you and point these things forward because there's often layers there that uh, feel risky to uncover. So once a spouse finds out about, you just name the signs that couples can look out for. And if a spouse sees the signs that you're discussing, what approach should they take next? What do they do to get from, I think this is happening to either we're seeing a therapist or we're talking through this ourselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They want to approach their spouse, a spouse about it. Like what tactics or what tools should they use to kind of approach this? Because it's a hard topic. It's a very hard topic. I'm making a broad assumption that there's enough relational security and safety that you can open that conversation without it posing a psychological or physical risk to yourself. If you have relational history that says my partner becomes very emotionally reactive or physically reactive when asked about these things, do not do it on your own. Go and get professional help. If you have enough relational history and you sense that your partner is generally more compassionate and open, right, safer, then it's time to have that difficult conversation. And I like to say, set up a money date. So you're not trying to blindside them or catch them off guard. And don't take it as a gotcha mission. Take it from a place of financial empathy and curiosity. And it's a little bit of falling on the sword without being completely self-deprecating. It might sound something like, hey, Angie, I have my own concerns about where we're going in our finances. Can we find a time to talk about it on Friday night or Saturday night? Assuming you say yes, then we, you know, Friday, Saturday night, we sit down and say, okay, Angie, I've had my own concerns about our financial life up to this point. You're familiar with this concern and that concern. I'm concerned about where your spending is and what's happening there. I feel like it's hard to keep track of what's going on. I'm trying to get the numbers to line up. Is this something that we can talk about more openly? What would make it safe for you to talk about what's really going on there? Right? So you're trying to create an environment where it's safe for your partner to talk about what they're doing without the fear of judgment, ridicule, shame, and rejection. Because those are the factors that are often stopping them from disclosing. I had a couple where this 
was happening where the husband had a lot of financial anxiety. And so his, and he would be critical of how his wife spent money. So she would just do it on the sly, right. To try to not draw his negative attention. So it was this big feedback loop. And so instead of making her responsible for doing something different, I held him accountable for showing up differently because he generally wanted the best for his wife and for the relationship. He just couldn't see, he had a hard time seeing how he was negatively impacting her behavior. So that's where there's mutual responsibility in the relationship. Both people are responsible for how the relationship functions, not just one person. That's a sign of a healthy relationship is where there's mutual responsibility for the relationship. Agreed. It's definitely a team. There's no I in team. So your partners and you should want the best for each other. So definitely agree. Ed, can you really curious in terms of like how you actually overcame your personal situation? Uh, What were some of the steps that you took to heal your marriage? You know, it was um, probably a little more complicated than it needed to be in hindsight. Admit, I can't remember the full sequence of things, but I was being interviewed for an NPR article that came up around financial infidelity. And it was more for the professional. And I was still kind of struggling with it myself. I was still a little bit in secrecy. And just in that talking to the reporter, I was like, oh my God, this is me. Like I need to, like some of my own denial about it broke through. And so at that point, it, it was going home and telling my wife, hey, I was having this conversation with the reporter about financial infidelity. And like, I need to tell you, like, this is where we're at with our finances, with this part of our finances. And here's that, that difficult reality is I was also in the self-justifying mode of my brain because she made plenty of money and the amount of money she was making could more than compensate my business debt. felt insurmountable to me in this business was small within her business context and within our overall family wealth. So that... It was a difficult part of our dynamic, but that was the rationalizing part of my brain. So we had to have multiple conversations about it. And we work with a financial planner actively. And we it's funny because when the, inter- the interview went live, was the same day that we we're headed to meet with our financial planner. And so I can remember, and we had to hit a new financial milestone, even in our investments and savings. So it's just this really complex thing. And that's some of the irony is that sometimes financial infidelity is not about the actual dollar amount, but it's about what it represents. And some of that financial infidelity was, is reflective of my own financial insecurities that I, w- I held at that time and I'm continuing to work through. Fortunately, the, the thing when I asked my wife six months, a year later, like what helps you get through that is we had had a long period of financial transparency and trust. And I'm fortunate that my wife is more compassionate and empathic. And so she could see that I was so stressed out and she could understand how I got to making those bad decisions and that it wasn't trying to attack or, or destabilize it. And I'm fortunate that it wasn't crippling to our overall financial picture. But you know, that was a major relational hurt. So I think also what I want people to know is oftentimes there's so many layers going on in your life at the time that something like this shows up. We were in a season where we were going through miscarriages as well, right? So we were like, I had just come out of grad school and coming out of grad school changes your whole sense of who you are. And so there were some identity formation issues. So, you know, we can look at the surface of financial infidelity, but it's a symptom of often a lot of many other things that are trying to work itself out. So I think so many couples can relate to your story and thank you for sharing that with us. Where can couples listening today who are like, wow, like I think 
I might need to see a marriage therapist or a financial therapist, where can they find a financial therapist to kind of help them work through these challenges? Yeah, absolutely. So I mentioned earlier the Financial Therapy Association, which is a professional organization that supports both mental health professionals and financial planners, and they have a therapist, financial therapist directly. So that's one place. You can check me out at healthyloveandmoney.com. So I am a financial therapist. I work with clients. So that's also an option if you like what I have to say. Excellent. Excellent. I think it's important, right? We always tell couples that transparency is so important. Communicating with your partner is so important. And I know it's hard. I know it's hard to be vulnerable. I know it's hard to dig into some of these sensitive topics. And one of the things that we want to encourage couples to do with Rich by Intention is that we want couples to manage money together as a team and to have those money date nights, as you mentioned, and to set up the atmosphere where you can have a safe space to have real conversations about your finances, about your goals, about the vision that you have for your family. And so definitely want to encourage anyone listening just to take the initiative, take the steps to heal your marriage. If you've experienced financial infidelity, take the steps that you need to get on the same page with your partner. Like we want to see couples win with money and in marriage. So thank you for just sharing your story. And so one thing I wanted to ask you, couples who may not be married yet, what are some steps that they can take before marriage to help prevent some of these challenges like financial infidelity? Well, I think one of the most important things is I'm huge on financial histories, right? Because that's going to shape a lot of your own expectations. And it may make, be hard to make sense out of your partner's financial history, but you wanted to start that on the same page of, we're going to explore this and our financial histories are important to us and we're going to revisit that. So just even opening that conversation up and say, hey, can we talk about our financial histories and the, the good things and the bad things that have impacted us? And just keep it super you know, comfortable and casual, but we're just, over time, you can open and develop that. I like to use the word financial intimacy with couples. Because it, what it, com- it brings to light for people is we want to get com- as comfortable as we can in as many different positions as we can with each other. And when you're young, it's often hard to fully appreciate how your childhood has impacted you and those patterns. But as you've been married for a period of time, you start to recognize and see, oh my God, I'm like my dad or my mom. And I have so many couples that say, I don't want to repeat those patterns. But then I find myself repeating them. So the more that you can make explicit those things that happened in your life financially that were good and bad, the more you can be aware of like when you're doing that. So I think that's a really huge piece. And then I think it's also the practice of sitting down and looking at your numbers together as they are. And this is that very functional thing. It's like you're starting as two independent people. You're going to merge your financial lives together. You're merging two organizations together. You are going to have different financial ideologies. Even if you're from the same business sector, so to speak, you're still not going to do things exactly the same. Two businesses in the same service market will still be fundamentally different. And so as a couple, the same is true. Like, Let's not be surprised by the fact that you see money differently. Let's embrace that because there's going to be some really good parts to that. And there's going to be some frustrating parts to that. And we can embrace that as well. But so from that practical standpoint, is sit down and start creating a... I like to start couples on their net worth statement before they even do their budget. Because we're talking about building wealth together. And wealth is reflected on the net worth statement, not the budget financially. So that's, let's get started there. Yeah, it's stepping on the financial scale. And it might say 
negative net worth, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending on if you have student loan debt or yet. But it's better to start that. But it's also going to start that conversation of whose money is this anyways? Is it your debt, my debt, our debt? And I think secure functioning couples move to that place of it's all ours together. We're inheritors of each other's past when we get married. That's a good way to put it. Inheritors of each other's past. Wow. I've never heard it put that way, but I like it. I agree. I love it. It usually just says one bed, one bank account. Yes. One (laughs) bed, one bank account. That's how we uh, put it. But inheritors of each other's past. Yeah, no, I really like that. And I will just take this. I won't take it too far, but for couples to think about how do you want your sexual intimacy to be in your life? Do you primarily want to have sex with your partner or do you primarily want to do it on your own or with somebody else? I say that to be provocative, to get them to think about it. The same is true for your finances. Do you want to do it alone? Do you want to do it together? Or do you want to do it with somebody else? It's not my choice. It's your marriage. You get to decide what you want to do with it. Make the choice. But there are some real ramifications for each different choice. Exactly. Yep, yep. And that's why, you know, communication and compromises is so key in a relationship. Yep. Ed, you've touched on just so much great advice. And I think you're going to help a lot of people listening today. And so one thing that we want to get into now is your new book. Like you have a new book that I think is going to bless a lot of couples. Can you just tell our listeners a little bit about it? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I've been talking a lot about attachment styles today, and I've been talking about some of my own story. And so in my book, I go further into my own story. I go further into attachment styles. And I really am teaching couples about how their attachment styles show up in their financial life so that they can start to identify and see these patterns for themselves. But I also am sharing my own story so that people can see that they're not alone. And many of the challenges that you're having with money can leave you feeling like you're the only person in the world that's having this problem. But I assure you that most of the money problems that people have are not unique. They're very common. And that's the benefit of that the two of you get to have and I get to have working with so many couples is you start to realize like, oh, you know, that's not unique to us. That's pretty common. You mean, oh, families fight about money. Oh, about cash flow, about who's spending what. Yeah, we see that. And it's common. And coming out of isolation and shame and into community and connection is, is a big part of what happens in the book. And there's practical exercises that people get to go through too. Great. That's awesome. I, I love you know what you're doing with this book and Phil is definitely going to be helpful for couples. So in the book, you talk about four attachment styles. I'm curious in terms of actually changing your attachment styles, what does that actually entail? And what does that process look like? Yeah. So there's, I think what I like to, to tell people is there, there can be three or four different components, right? So sometimes it means being in therapy. Sometimes it does mean being in couples therapy. And that's kind of the deep and most intense part. But sometimes it's just reading books about attachment, right? Getting some new information and then getting the books, reading the information. And then the third part is reflecting on it and practicing. So you talk a lot about compromise. Well, compromise is a pattern of secure functioning. And if you didn't grow up in an environment where compromise was a part of the relational template or pattern, then you're going to need to practice that because it's going to feel awkward and uncomfortable to you. Your attachment style is going to say, don't compromise. It's going to make it dangerous for you or threatening for you. So you've got to now have experiences of compromising where it actually works out for you. And that's where being in it together and recognizing like we're going to have to practice these relational skills together to develop them. Because it's one thing to have the head knowledge about what a a good functioning or secure functioning relationship is. But that's like reading books about how to ride a bicycle and never riding a bicycle. 
you got to ride the bike to know what it feels like. And sometimes you got to fall and scrape your knees multiple times before you really ride it well. So the research is very clear that couples can move towards secure attachment patterns. And I do think for most people, having some knowledge about it helps them move along that journey quicker. For my clients that I work with, when they're reading, it moves their progression along faster because they understand they can use the ideas and move them deeper into their brain. So therapy, reading about it and practicing. So what do you hope couples gain from healthy love and money? Like what is your ultimate vision for couples with this book? I think my ultimate vision for this book is that a couple would be able to sit down at their kitchen table or wherever they talk money and they could look each other in each other's eyes and share, oh, our day just trying to get you. I saw that. I love it. (laughs) You You can look each other in the eyes because that's also another function of secure attachment is being able to have eye gaze and maintain eye gaze. And that couples would be able to both share their deepest fears, worries, and anxieties about money, as well as their greatest hopes, joys, and dreams. And that there's space for both sides of that. Because I've come to the place in my life where I'm not no longer trying to rid people of all their fears and anxieties about money. I think new ones show up as we go along the life course. I don't think we have to live with them. I think they can become less. But let's face it, we're humans. <laughs> we're going to have different fears and anxieties show up at different times. And so we need to be able to hold space for that, for our partner, to make it okay. Because that's also part of what helps alleviate them is that empathy being seen in your fears and anxieties. No, Ed, this is great. This has been such an amazing episode. And like I said, I think couples are going to get so many tools and tactics that they can take into their own relationships to just build that healthy financial life for themselves. So thank you so much, Ed, for joining us. We're excited about your new book, Healthy Love and Money, The Four Attachment Styles that impact your financial well-being. So thank you for just sharing the information and the knowledge and all of your experience, even within your own marriage. So for listeners who want to keep up with you, where can they find yeah, you? So uh, my website's a great place to start and it's going to be no surprise, healthyloveandmoney.com. And then I'm on Instagram, LinkedIn, and TikTok. And those are great social media platforms to connect with me. But on the website, I have ongoing blogs. And so you can get connected on with that. I have course offerings that are there. I have, I'm really excited to share with you guys. Actually, I'm launching the Couples Guide to Financial Intimacy, an online program for couples in the next month or so. So you can go to the website and check that out and get more information about that if you need a more structured environment. And it's kind of that in-between going to therapy and reading books on your own. It's the, that middle spot. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Excited for just seeing couples one with money. So we really appreciate you just coming on and sharing your story. And I think it always comes always comes down to your team, right? Yes, Teamwork team. makes the dream work or we'll change it to teamwork makes the goals work. So that and can I just add to that, babe? Because I think you're what you're saying is so true. And like your purpose partners, mm-hmm. right? Like you have to find purpose in your partnership. And that's what RJ and I believe wholeheartedly that there is purpose in this. And so just find the purpose that's going to unite your marriage and yeah, and prosper. Can I add one last little thing? I just saying, I'm just so excited that you guys are saying that, that purpose thing, because that's one of those things that's been crystallizing in my brain. And I literally listening to another podcast this morning in the way to work. And she said, my greatest regret is I didn't listen to my mom when she said, love is not enough. And you guys are highlighting that the, what she said, which is 
purpose is what sustains couples through those times when you don't feel loving towards each other. Yes, exactly. Wow. Remember your why. Remember why you, right? you married yes. that person and get intentional. Get right. intentional. I'm so <laughs> glad that we get intentional. I'm so glad that we met. And I hope that yeah. my thanks so much. And, and us will connect sometime in the future. Of course. Yeah, we'd love to have we love couples on the podcast. So yeah, oh, definitely. That, you would probably get a whole other story if you ask my wife, which that would be great. <laughs> oh yeah, what's the real story? <laughs> Thank you for tuning into this episode. If you like what you heard, hit the subscribe button and leave a review. Follow us on Instagram at Rich by Intention for money tips and inspiration. 